We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast to bring you the Starcast Truther Club. What? No, that's not what this is. Anyway, <laughs> hi, welcome to Gay Space Communism. We've stolen someone else's format and their hosts because we want to make them watch our show because they made us watch their show. I'm Paul Byron. With me as always. I'm Corey Archibald. And oh, look at those other pastel dressed TV stars. If you wanted to rip off our format perfectly, what you should have said is uh, Starfleet officers and residents of Bajor. <laughs> yes. Children there living on a war station. This is true. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Welcome. And we are happy to have the host of Sentai Truther Club. We got Grav. We've got Kennedy. Y'all do a great show about Thanks. Power Rangers that Corey and I were both on. Yep. And you made us watch a television show. So now we're going to make you watch our television show. Because ultimately, how do you get a person into a thing you like? What do you give them? What do you make them look at? Because you gave me some weird episodes and I was very pleased with that. <laughs> and I knew we had some that were just as good. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you guys love the episodes that we gave you because we definitely had some stinker seasons of our own that we had to go through like wild force and a couple of others but uh you know paul very grateful that you enjoyed the dino thunder episodes uh <laughs> I, I just listened to the season review episode for that and yes that's how i'm glad that what i got was a representative sample <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I remember when I came on y'all's show a few weeks ago at the time that we we're recording this, at least, I told you I felt like you were making a big mistake because I had never watched Power Rangers. I am outside the target demographic for that show. I was in high school when the original uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers came on the air, and uh, the kids that I babysat watched it, but I was not part of that demographic. But it was a great time. I had a lot of fun on the show, and when I was just heartbroken to learn that you have not already been indoctrinated as a Star Trek fan and Paul and I uh, resolved that we needed to fix that. So, uh, so here we are. And I'm here as the mole on both sides. Because I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> into Star Trek. That's right, right. I need to tell a story about this really quick. Because oh, yeah, yeah. you you are actually the reason that Gay Space Cast exists. And Rachel, she's on an away mission today. She may object to this a little bit. But the way this whole thing kind of came about, and I know she was thinking about doing a Star Trek podcast for a while, so it's not totally you. But it was about this time a year ago when you all invited me on for uh, Not Safe for Wonks, and we didn't know what we were going to talk about. And you suggested, let's just do an episode where we riff on Star Trek, because you knew that I was a big Trek fan. And we had such a great time. It was a, a fantastic episode. And it was a few weeks after that that Rachel hit me up to ask if I wanted to work with her on an all Trek political podcast. And I was like, uh, yeah, definitely. So hey. uh, you, are, you are the reason <laughs> that we are here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or this, so this is your fault. I mean, I thought it would be fun, and I will say, I will say it was one of our most commented episodes that we ever recorded of the audio show. People really engaged with it and wanted to talk about the themes on our Twitter and stuff like that. So yep. that, that also helped to kind of uh, inspire, I think, everyone to feel like, well, dang, this could work. <laughs> Maybe we could do this all the time. Yeah, a year ago, I was in that meeting and I had suggested the Power Rangers podcast as well at that time because I was like, seriously, I had a had another podcast going, but I ended up canceling that in favor of doing just Sentai Truther Club because I thought it was such a, a fun idea and thing to, to execute on. So yeah, I mean, like we all kind of like got our shit together a year ago. And it's funny to see like 
a year later how it's all shaped out right like we had a couple of other shows that you know unfortunately didn't go the distance but both of us did and it's it's a fun time i will say from from my personal trek experience so my stepfather was a trek fan and my stepfather like put on a couple of episodes it wasn't captain kirk it was uh i think it was the next generation with will wheaton was my stepdad's uh that is not normally how the next generation is described normally we i just want to point that out (laughs) (laughs) you know star trek the next generation yeah with will wheaton (laughs) will wheaton's a lovely human being he's great we love him but like he's just not the top build actor of that series at the time it's it's, (laughs) but imagine if he was like that would have been hilarious sir (laughs) william wheaton and without increasing his screen time like his screen time's still the same he still gets like 30 seconds an episode or whatever but it's like starring will wheaton right at the (laughs) (laughs) but you know like i think it might have been deep space nine maybe because i i distinctly remember uh i think dr wharf is his name the klingon but that might have just been the design for klingons for a while i don't he's also in tng Oh, okay. Then, yeah, it probably yeah. is TNG then. Yeah. Michael Dorn's done a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. I watched a couple episodes and uh, I was just like, lightsaber, where? there's an admitted lack of merchandisable toys well i mean like my idea of fiction as a kid i didn't appreciate science fiction and space until way later in life like i think i was still like a medieval fantasy type until like maybe like midway through game of thrones probably was where i was like okay i kind of like science fiction too so why would you want to watch a show where people do normal things why not watch people have powers and do something supernatural that you can't see in real life right and star trek unfortunately had a lot of talking yeah there's a whole episode of deep space nine where they play baseball that's it they play a game of pickup <laughs> yeah. baseball but it's, it's like one a- of the best episodes it's one of the best episodes there's this great line i'm not I'm, i don't want to ruin the whole thing for you but there is this great line because you love Worf, right you like you're a fan of Worf. so there's yeah. a there's a point where like they're trying to figure out the rules of the game and nog needs to tag or one of the runners out and he's try- trying to figure out who it is because they to him like all the other players on the other team look the same and so he's like what do i do what do i do and Worf goes find him and kill him I it's love a good that. Sport. Yeah, I am glad that you guys picked me five. I believe it's five. Maybe it's six episodes. I think I've watched at this point. There was a little bit of interesting. Uh, there were some communication issues that means that interesting choices well, were made. There, there were more episodes watched than was strictly necessary for better animation. <laughs> it's fun to like just. You watched a great that. one that you didn't need to watch. You also watched a not so great one that you didn't need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it should have been four but it was six yeah we could talk about all six i can go for days let's go no we're gonna start it off we're gonna get, <laughs> get in uh so the first episode that we asked you to watch that i mean because i asked for this one. Oh, i'm sorry i am yeah i'm gonna say i'm right because it's a weird y'all y'all understand in a moment season two episode 17 of the original series a piece of the action aka planet mobster um so this <laughs> is a checkup on a federation colony the enterprise comes into orbit they go say like well this is a federation colony we should check and see what happened and it turns out they've set up an entire society based on 1920s Chicago mobsters because they lost every other book on the damn ship except for a history book, a big, thick history, like book, book, like a big Bible-sized book of mobster history. And that's it. And they are just recreating that. They have got suits and guns and like accents 
accents. So this represents one of the number of episodes of Star Trek that were basically, oh shit, we're on the CBS <laughs> lot. Well, they've got a lot of costumes from other stuff. How did stuff. they get the accent from the book? Ooh, good. That is an, you points to Kennedy for the first shot of the day. That's <laughs> how did fantastic. they get the I really want to know, how did they get the accent from hey, the book? Hey, you guys, oh, we're mobsters. <laughs> Like, they developed this entire mobster culture based on a book. They didn't have recordings or TV shows. Well, actually, no. So they did have, um, They, I mean, they obviously had a ship to get there. So they, I assume they had access to a computer. So maybe there was an audio record of the book as well. I mean, I'm I'm happy to let this go is that they're space Italian. And, uh, hey, mamma mia, it's in a warp car. I was talking about that when we were watching the episode. Because even Kennedy was unsure. And I was like, no, I think what it was is, is that I think they, like, the writers just kind of mixed it up. <laughs> and, like, gave up halfway. And we're like, yeah, this is kind of a time travel story, except it has no ramifications because it's not a serialized show so to speak well that's kind of a there's something too that like in the 60s it was way easier to blow people's minds like the twilight zone comes in with hey what if women and people of color are people and i still like, fuck what? with the twilight zone robot i do too but like sometimes you like watch them in the more this like heavy duty crazy moral is oh uh, yeah no that's you gotta actually engage with your children and talk to them you can't make a robot raise them that's weird i mean like yeah we knew <laughs> I just like the idea that there must have been an audiobook and that it was narrated not by like some typical audiobook narrator, but by this guy who's like, Hey, you guys, welcome to the history of the Chicago mobs published 1992. You know what? <laughs> I, I appreciate that so fucking much, though. Like, if an Italian yep. American like voiced a Chicago mob book, I would a thousand percent download that shit. They also have to be told they're free to ad lib anything they want there's this amazing <laughs> book about the ira called say nothing and it's actually voice acted by an irishman and it has the the complete irish accent it's amazing it's, it's <laughs> fucking amazing i love it so damn much so now i'm picturing an audio like an actual kindle book that i could get right now about history of chicago gangs from the 1920s narrated by Major barrett See, that's saleable goods. <laughs> I would I would listen to that. Y'all know who Major Barrett is? I don't. Okay, Major Barrett is she was actually the wife of Gene Roddenberry, and she appeared in multiple series. She was in the original series. She played the nurse, and she also was in the animated series. She was in uh, The Next Generation as Luxana Troy, um, and she also appeared in Deep Space Nine as Luxana Troy, who is the, the mother of Deanna Troy. So she's a, a Betazoid in those those two series. And she's also the voice of the I'm sorry, let's back computer. up. Uh, Grav, Betazoid is second sexy psychic in space yes just to be yes sorry <laughs> but she is uh she's also the voice of the computer in next generation deep space nine voyager it's very soothing well no not in deep space nine yeah in deep space nine no deep space nine they use the cardassians no but the defiant has if wait does it get... yeah that's true is that what galaxy quest parodies Probably. Oh my God! This gotcha. whole thing is all Galaxy Quest parodies. Tim Allen yeah. can be viewed yes. as a Kirk. Is is primarily Kirk though, right? Like Tim Allen is straight. Is yeah. Like, first and foremost, he is Kirk, yes. not Picard, not uh, Cisco. Yeah. He's he's also Jason David Frank. <laughs> so, so from the episodes that you watched, picture the voice that does the computer commands in Next Generation narrating a book about Chicago mobsters, but also playing the voices. That would do be the amazing. voices, Mom. Do the voices. <laughs> 
I one time downloaded, there was like a Kotaku article or something about something like that years ago. I'm talking like probably a decade ago about Ice-T doing a short story in an R.A. Salvatore book where he played a talking sword immediately went on Audible and bought it. Yeah, I want like, I kind of <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so back to piece yeah. of the action uh, right this is a great episode to me this is yeah, uh, reminiscent happened? of a lot of Ursula K. Le Guin's story she has a, a series that are basically set on a wor colonial worlds of earth that are lost due to clerical errors like oh no we lost a thousand colony worlds and now we have to go find them and give them communicators and figure out what they're doing and so this kind of uh oh we haven't talked to these guys in a while what oh they're gangsters now and ultimately they kind of get the drop put on them because they got tasers <laughs> but like if a guy's gonna shoot you with a regular bullet it still pierces all of your body so uh ultimately like, ultimately they yeah. sort of find a way to use various gangster tropes and then come back down in their, that actually. in their own suits and like essentially bring them into the federation and collective if like they don't really realize it but they're like okay cool we'll stop killing each other because you guys will come kill us and that seems awfully muscly and it is there's a lot of colonial violence here ultimately they yeah happily leave away and so yeah any other thoughts here this is resolved basically by tricking them and you but taking the language of the gangster planet and using it to sort of reframe the federation relationship and kirk's quote right. at the end that the ocean's maybe one day in a position to demand a piece of our action is a really telling and troubling part of the way that he did this. Because like, oh, we're a bunch of gangsters too. And like, great. Well, what if we get fucking bigger gangster ray guns and then we're in charge of the Federation? Like, that's a risk. We This may be where the Orion Crime Syndicate comes from, uh, which is their, I'm sorry, yeah. that's the crime capitalists in Star Trek if, for Graf. Uh, so yeah, anything else you want to talk about on this? Obviously, this is one of several Star Trek episodes where they go back to right now. Yeah. Let's get into it. Well, first, before you jump in, Grab, I want to know, Paul, what, what was it that made... So the whole reason we did this, we kind of skipped over this part at the beginning um, a little bit. Like, we wanted to pick out episodes that we get them interested. So I, I got to know, like, what was it about Mobster Planet, a piece of the action, that made you think this is essential viewing for Star Trek and Grab must see okay, it? Okay, one, it's Planet of the Week. That is absolutely a Star Trek trope that must be honored, right? Like, some episodes Fair. aren't part of an arc. They aren't telling a larger story. They're just like, hey, we go to this place and it's weird there and that's fine I'm like great engage with that figure it out talk it and you're not allowed to shoot them right is kind of the other underlying part of all of these and i think their ability to engage with and deal with like essentially outright mob violence and just sort of violent force as the power dynamic and being able to figure that out is at least interesting and the approach is better than others and i like also just a dumb costume weirdness episode and they talk about the dynamics of starfleet as well and kind of unpack a little bit of why like, oh, right, space colonies. There's a bunch of those. Sometimes a ship crashes. This is one of the missions of the weird deep spaceship is you go look and see if they all died or if they all made wide-lapeled suits, which <laughs> that's what they did. Um, <laughs> they lost all the repli all the good, all the good medical tech. They burnt. They kept the books and the suits. So, yeah, that's why I picked it. Grav, what did you take away? Okay, so I appreciate the, the colony visit story. Now that you mention it, it actually kind of reminds me of the video game series Star Ocean. 
which I was kind of a yeah. fan of, but I was a fan of, I think the worst one, which was till the end of time. Like I used to actually like use like fate lion God as like a freaking avatar. <laughs> and then he's actually, actually a horrible, horrible protagonist who's a whiny baby, but he looks really cool because he has blue hair and he has like a lightsaber dude. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen anime. I know that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, there was a couple of interesting moments. So Spock, so like just just to like set the stage, Power Rangers did this in the early beginnings as well in Mighty Morphin, where they would go back to the past and like somebody would do something absolutely egregious to the timeline, like multiple egregious things. And you're just like, it all just starts to stack up. And at the end of the episode, you kind of get like actually some conclusion to that those plot threads but most of it it's like doesn't get any conclusions to that or it's just like nah it's not gonna happen but some of it's like no it actually did influence the timeline actually quite a bit and then in some seasons more so right obviously like time force but it definitely a mighty morphin and this mm -hmm. felt like that and i was getting payoff from this episode of it like continuing to like be more and more egregious with the timeline and the the so-called non-interference rule Keep piling it on. Yeah. Prime director. Right. Kid. Yeah. Nobody cares. They can't. Yeah. Can't just leave these guys out here to shoot each other with bullets. Yeah, I, I think I, I like the moral quandary that Spock kind of posed to the audience and to Captain Kirk about like, if this is what the people want, right? If they're all like, essentially like being ruled by multiple leaders and you have this one leader who's like, I want everyone to unite as one. It's society and like Spock's political leanings are like, in, in this episode, I guess, is that like, as long as everyone is united and can coexist, then that's fine. And we'll just like accept the whitewashed version of that, right? So like Spock's okay with that type of thing because what lands in the textbook and what lands in the history books isn't like any form of oppression necessarily. It's a very whitewashed version of history as we know it. So Spock's more okay with that because they're united, right? It's almost like forming a United States, essentially. And then- You're saying uh, there's a political metaphor in here? Hold on, wait, we have to rethink this whole show. Yeah, and then on top of that, Spock also posed a question to Kirk about, like, giving aid to people, right? And then, like, outright trusting people like that and, like, who's good here if everyone's bad? I like that sort of moral quandary. Some interesting moments. There was the initial hit in the beginning when they landed. And then, like, after the hit, the women that were on the street were making demands, right? They were like, you guys need to fix our streetlights and, like, all this other stuff. They're like, yeah, if you guys are going to keep your territory keep your rule you got to please us too well i mean the system was working right like it was a weird system but it did <laughs> actually like make their world operate yeah yeah, there's like a sort of give and take because there's always some debt, right? There's always some debt that needs to be paid and there's like a give and take there constantly. So that was a very interesting portrayal, except Kirk like was then like scoffing at them <laughs> right after. And he was like, women, am I right? And it looks to like Spock <laughs> and the rest of the crew. That was just wild. You're getting a taste of why Kirk is my least favorite captain. <laughs> we say the words a product of its time a lot on this show. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even as a product of its time, that doesn't excuse a lot of what Kirk does. No, he's bad, man. Um, yeah, I appreciate Kirk put on like, oh man, an Emmy Award winning performance with his Italian gangster portrayal. Just listen, see, <laughs> pure, pure Kino. I was like, this is the shit that I live for. This is great. <laughs> well, it's, there's some furniture chewing in this show, and it's fine because that furniture is all sanitary and it's weird space plastics. So you can gum it all you want. You know, Kirk's reaction, especially at the end of all of it, the way the episode ended, I was like, I get it. I get why people loved Star Trek. I fucking get it. I understand now. And and that's that's why I was like, ooh, this is pure, pure Kino. Some good shit right there. So that's amazing. Yeah. In answer to your question, Corey, that's why I picked it. Boom. Okay, like. so no, I love it, and I've got to say, like when I'm when I'm usually advising people who are trying to get into Trek for the first time, I don't normally suggest that they start with the original series because a lot of people just can't get over the production value or like the some of the dialogue and and can't appreciate it in the context of its time. And so I usually suggest that they start off with something that's a little closer to the reality that they grew up with. Something like you'd want to watch, sure a whole right, series right. of like I think the episode does lose some steam around the middle when they were like kind of getting yeah. into like the gangster stuff where they're like, well, if, if you do this for me and I do this for you, you know, that we could like, you know, bet on that. And I'm like, listen, this doesn't have the tension of uncut gems for me to like. Really, well, like, and take that's this another in. thing. That's another thing about the, you know, the being a production of its time is that these episodes are freaking long, man. Like, you don't think that that extra like four minutes. Yeah, that they, that I they thought that this in. was a thirty-minute show, and no. I looked at it and oh, I said no. forty-four <laughs> minutes, and I went, "Oh my god!" And that's that's kind of short for for a TOS episode. That's kind of short. A lot of them are in the fifty plus. Because you used to be able to show more TV show. Like there was way less commercial mm -hmm. in the middle of everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I appreciated it a great deal, though. I do think that the probably from like a younger person, like from my my standpoint, and maybe I don't know, like if people younger than me would agree, but just speaking from my point of view, the Vulcan nerve pinch is really jarring. Like at first I was like, uh, I don't know if you can sell that. But see, like, Captain Kirk don't mind throwing a fucking right hook. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, what? What? <laughs> Let's go! It's at least a less violent way to take someone out of commission when you need to to break something up or you need you need to get past somebody. So I appreciate it for that purpose. But boy, they lean on it a lot, and it does seem just like they're very like in in every one of the series. Like every time there's a Vulcan in the series, they they love to use the Vulcan nerve pinch or neck pinch, and it's is it's, it's a classic. It's, like by the end of it, yeah. like he had already used it like seven times at that point, and I was just like by the end of it. I was like, you know what, though? It's classic. Like, you can't you can't take that away from it. Wait until you get into uh, seeing more of the original series and you see how often he does mind melds because you, you'll, you'll actually learn later that there was a time in Vulcan culture where mind melds were kind of taboo. And um, it was actually and a case. A, it was it was a homosexuality metaphor, if I recall correctly. Right. Yeah, it was it was definitely like a metaphor for for like the AIDS crisis. But in the original series, it was just a thing that Spock did. And he was mind he'd mind meld with anything. He'd be mind meld with a rock if you'd let him. It would just like every week. 
week. He's just, you know, he's throwing them off. vaguely psychic. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the, the neck pinch is best viewed as a psionic attack that applied physically yeah. through the nerves, right? Like it just attacks your right. medulla, for, but you have to, right? Uh, like that's a bit least helps. If that helps you, it helps me. All right, so that's um a pretty that's <laughs> that's, that's uh that was a piece of the action in the gangster episode. Now we're gonna cut into a weird time shift because we're doing season five, episode six of Deep Space Nine: Trials and Tribulations, which is a 30th anniversary tribute episode, and of course then touches the trouble with tribbles where we rotoscope the 90s greatest star trek actors in with the 60s greatest star trek actors in one of the dipshittest plots that ever happened on both ends um so <laughs> in this episode the entire what's team... amazing is that it all ties together though with the original it's beautifully the edited. original it's plot so perfect from tos it all, it's all coming back around. It's the long con. Yep. So this whole episode <laughs> is a flashback. Cisco's sitting at his desk and he comes in. The time cops are there and they're like, we want to talk to you about your time bullshit that you did last week. And he's like, what? Well, let me give you the skinny. And then he tells them about his time travel bullshit. And so everybody from the show that you're watching goes back in time and puts on I, I that. I just have to say that scene where the time cops are asking him to like sit down and give his account. And he says something like, I've got nothing but time. And they're like, is that a joke? And he just genuinely makes the most genuine like no face you've ever and you're like you really feel like he didn't mean it that way but you're also like but is he playing them it's impossible to know <laughs> and i love their response we don't like jokes. oh yeah we don't like those yeah we hate those i love it when they're talking about kirk and they, they find out that they go back in time to see Kirk's ship and they go oh his ship the man was a menace i love that i mean him and janeway fuck up the timeline a lot yeah so let me tell you about that quote so you said we were talking about Cam from Ninja Storm because some of our best episodes from Ninja Storm was about Cam being a good time custodian. And then we were talking about Captain Kirk. And then you were saying, yeah, that man was a menace. And then I turn on this episode and I hear that line and yep. I go, you damn Trekkies. All of you. I snuck it in. <laughs> so, right. So he doesn't know anything about it, but we go through and he tells the story of this, which is him telling the story of them interfering with the story of the trouble with Tribbles, the episode that introduces Tribbles, where we've got Vulcans on a station, there's Tribbles, there's eating food, there's a, a saboteur, a salesman, a bartender, and really, like, they just die and fall on his head at the end. It kind of solves itself. It's a mild mystery. And then the Deep Space Nine episode writes itself in as our heroes creating that while the TOS action is happening just on the other side of the split film, which has been synced together. Uh, they did a really, like, technically they do a great job making it all look right. And I think the recreations of those props is wonderful. And the uniforms are redone and the haircuts and they put Jadzia in the beehive and everyone's got their swoops and like their 60s greaser hair. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's as much as I can explain to this because the trouble with Tribbles really is just a gibberishy plot. And Trials and Tribulations. This is Kennedy's is, episode, though. But I almost picked it, too. They facilitate it. So, yeah, why did this episode get picked? I mean, it's definitely in my top five Deep Space Nine episodes of all time. It's maybe not my absolute favorite, but it's up there. And it's it's maybe my favorite comedic episode, although that episode where Quark gets it on with a Klingon lady is pretty close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Yeah, no, it's one of the few times they do humor re reasonably well in, early, in this era of Trek. Their jokes clang a lot, but this is a funny setup. This is a, yeah. It's also a weird one, though, because it's like they try to address 
some of the sexism and even more so some of the racism in TOS, but then fail on both counts. Yeah, we might as well just jump to it right now. So they ask Jensia about the short skirt and the hip boots, and she's like, I like it. I look great. But on the other hand, they actually, they ask Worf, hey, why are Klingons guys in blackface? And the answer is, we don't talk about it. And that's the end of that. We don't, we don't even talk about it. It's like, fine. <laughs> we don't talk about it with non-Klingons. I think you said this, Paul, like, let's make the one black actor on the cast right now explain why 60s casting used blackface. Like, wow. Wow. Hey, Michael Dorn, wow. can you explain this to the kids? It's like, fuck no, I don't have an hour and a half. We're doing an episode of Star Trek. Let's go. <laughs> We didn't think about this when we yeah. pitched this one as our as our throwback episode, how it has this in it. Um, we thought we'd do a fun one with I, the I think I like the B-plot more in this episode. The Bulk and Skull plot with uh, wait, wait, Nog no, and no. Which, uh, so which, Okay, Cisco there we go. Sun? So the, the B-plot of the Deep Space Nine episode. Right. Sorry. Well, it's important to keep these four. Yes. Where they're... Unsang, like, right. That's a what different are... episode. If you think oh, about it is? The clip story. Which one is that? That was Progress. Was that oh. progress? Damn. Oh, maybe oh, maybe I right. actually we're gonna like talk progress. About self, we're going to talk shit. about self-stealing stem bolts in a little bit? Oh, okay. Hell yeah. No, that's something else. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk about self-stealing stem bolts in a few minutes. All right, all right. Then, all right this right. whole episode happens in the, on the TOS episode. Jadzia fucks um, bones. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of funny stuff. Dr. Bashir tries to convince himself that he's in a predestination paradox situation because he meets his grandma yeah. and she's really hot. <laughs> like wait am i my own grandfather that it's not even that it's that she has the same last name and he just assumes like a woman with a name that i know that's probably not at all common to like millions of people like must be my grandmother i better get fucking well no that is the funny thing the whole time through is o'brien is like she was your because it's actually not even his grandma it's like his great grandma or great great grandma or something like that so it's yeah, like pretty removed like same, you know? yeah it's and so it's definitely not someone he knew or anything. And so O'Brien's just like, yeah, Watley's a really common name. And Dr. Bashir is like, but she was maybe in Starfleet. And O'Brien's like, maybe in Starfleet, the biggest employer in the galaxy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the billions and billions of women with this name across the right. galaxy. Oh yeah, he know he definitely tries to do his do his own grandpa great 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 grandpa paradox. And to be Star fair, I would be having that same dilemma. <laughs> I mean, to I mean, be yeah. fair, she was pretty attractive and given yeah. eyes. So you know, you can, I mean, you can yeah. understand how. Never forget, before the post nut clarity, you have the pre nut psychosis, and that's where Doctor Bashir is in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would be having that same dilemma going right through my head. I want to raise um, an easy technical issue with this. Uh, it is established when when Benjamin Sisko knocks up Cassidy Yates, it is because he forgot to get his injection monthly from Bashir, which is to say that birth control in Star Trek is just an injection you get and you don't, there's no sperms anymore. She, he gets her pregnant. And it's the responsibility means, of both, yeah. Everyone goes to get your shots, right? And like, but they, he just skipped it because he was doing profit stuff or whatever. But ultimately, that Bashir is probably up to date with his injection. So no matter what happens, he's not making anyone in this situation. Like he's going to like eject nothing. Maybe he's always raw dog. Maybe he just always carries that fertility injection in case. 
it's true. That's possible. He he's sleeping with a Bajoran Davo girl, and maybe when that's you've got, good. don't maybe they have the compatible. cure for everything at this point? We've had the cure for that for since like the 1700s, but that's not what we're. That's let's move on. <laughs> uh, so ultimately, someone else is going back. Apparently, you can just use one of the. Yeah, the orbs are a time travel and or otherwise plot device. If you need someone to have an experience, you just have an orb show up. They open it. You call it the orb of the thing you need to have happen, and then it does that so this one guy goes back in time they all go back in time they thwart like him the power rangers they just find a new crystal yeah it's ex yeah you guys have, it's a sentai you've heard of this uh and i think that's about all we need to do here because this really is the end of there's a little bit of political and sort of uh fun maneuvering on both sides but it's mostly is about wow look at this intersection of these two worlds and i think that's the best way to talk about it but if you've got anything else you want to do I just want to say that I I know we, we talked about this a little bit, but this is one of my favorite episodes, not only because of how well written it is and the fantastic acting, but just the editing job that they did was so amazing to make it look so the way that they incorporated, you know, the live action of the well, it's not live, it's being rotoscoping you know, filmed, I keep using is maybe the term, but I don't know anything. Maybe, yeah, but the way that they, I should say, they incorporated Deep Space Nine cast seamlessly, visually, into the original film of the TOS episodes was just brilliantly done. Yeah, it's just really, it looked like they were like physically inserted in the middle of, of those scenes. It was really, really incredible. It's required viewing for sure. It was really well done because, I mean, they use a number of techniques to pull it off ultimately and make it look right and there's never really any like tearing or anything that you notice that looks funny or out of place which is actually like really impressive considering the time I love this episode because it also helped me understand some of the political dynamics of the episode that I added in. But I, I do think that uh, there is like a couple of things about this episode that I do find pretty interesting. Cisco, I think in general, this was just a really strong Cisco episode where he was just giving quips. Yes, he's really funny Definitely. and interesting in this episode. He gave him a lot Top to do and game. he did well, yeah. I don't understand what the repercussions from the time police would necessarily be, because wouldn't you disrupt the timeline from being deleted from the timeline? Um, the incursion itself is a temporal prime directive violation and so must be investigated. Like you can see that there's like a residual measurable effect from doing that to space time because you're not supposed to. So someone comes in like, all right, so what did you do? And like, oh, you God damn it, you fucked, you made everything weird. Because, like, what, like, oh, Bashir fucked his grandma? That's not, uh, now I have to kill Bashir. I mean, like, right, this, or, I mean, and then this yeah. becomes a, a, Voyager does a bit of this where there's people, like, erasing things from time, which, very. Yeah, and it's not as much about, like, getting the person in trouble as much as it is, although there, there would be space for that if they were, like, there's, there's another series later where they talk about the temporal cold wars where there's people that are going around intentionally fucking things up. And that's, I think, the precursor for this interaction that you're witnessing in this episode. But, you know, it's more about correcting the timeline, seeing what they have to go back and fix after someone may have inadvertently, because it wasn't their fault. They didn't try to go back in time, as you know, from the episode. They, they ended up there. And, you know, they're, they're there to figure out, like, what may have been impacted, which is funny in a way, because there is another episode Episode of Deep Space Nine where he does a far more egregious um, incursion into the timeline. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but boy howdy, if there was going to be an episode where they showed up and like read him the riot act, it would have been this other episode that I'm talking about. If you get into Deep Space Nine, you will know it when you see it, but still, <laughs> it was funny to see that they like made such a big deal 
out of him showing up in the Tribbles episode. So I think what's important to note with how like Star Trek views time travel is that there is no holistic change to the timeline. If you were to arrive in the wrong time, be seen by no one, interact with no one, and then leave, the timeline is the same. It doesn't matter that a time traveler technically popped their head in for five minutes. If they didn't talk to Do anyone, anything. if they didn't cut down any trees, whatever, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Like if all they did was yeah. like if their ship popped into space and they're like, oh, we're in the wrong time and then they just took their ship back then nothing has changed that's how star trek views time tra travel there's a, so, yeah, there's a threshold of interest you have to actually like do something significant and i think like you know the whole thing with like that interaction that cisco engineers with kirk is he's trying to engineer the kind of interaction you have with somebody and then basically forget I you fucking know? love that shit. That was a great scene. <laughs> I, I love the triple stuff. I love the yeah. fact that the Klingon like exterminated them and wiped them out. I like proudly proclaimed that as a victory for the Empire. It ate all their that was really they fun. almost died. They <laughs> almost lost. That's a war. Like, right? Like that is a species with combat and there's like you have to celebrate having defeated. Yeah, that that was great. That was some good stuff. Uh, I appreciate the lore that it brought, how meta it was. That was really good. It was a good pick, Kennedy. Thank you. It's definitely one of the funniest episodes of this show that's ever been made. Besides, like yeah. up to lower decks, essentially. And I think yeah. it's funnier than a lot of those, too. Yeah, it was brilliant. Everybody, everybody was brilliant. Grav, and now a Trekkie? His eyes open. The episode that Corey selected is Darmok. All right. Yeah. So uh, you want to do the, the recap and then I'll talk about why I had to pick well, this If y'all don't know what Darmok is, God, why are y'all listening to the show? Go watch Darmok. But yeah, Picard and a guy from another species are dropped on a planet. They don't speak each other's language and the universal translator doesn't work because their whole species talks in poetry. And it is a very cool, like first contact experience. They have a lot of difficulty having a standoff up in the ship. You see a lot of people doing various button pushing and very lasers sometimes being threatened to fire and then on the bot on down on the ground kirk i'm sorry picard much better captain and this guy hunt a monster that they've set loose for purposes of making people friends go okay <laughs> like, hold on first of all it's a, i have to point out it doesn't seem clear that they let the monster loose they may have just noticed there's a monster on that planet this is how we do things yeah um, <laughs> sure, so they pick a place it doesn't matter yeah. right like they're like oh what should we do we'll throw y'all in a lion's den y'all figure it out you mentioned kurt grab actually had a really interesting take after we watched this which is he said he thought kirk would have done a better job of handling the Darmok situation. And after giving it some thought, I actually had to agree. <laughs> you know? What? Okay, lawyer I'm going to have to that one in a minute. No, Lawyer Picard is... Because, yeah, Kirk's an arm wrestle dude. I don't know how hard in the paint I want to go about this episode. You don't have to I, do that. I did not like, have a very positive like reaction. Yeah, before we get into that, though, the reason why I picked this episode is because, you know, a lot of the episodes that I love the most are ones that you really, to truly appreciate them, you need some understanding of the context and the and the history of the characters. And I just, I didn't want to, like, detract from that by dropping you in. Not that I, you know, think you couldn't get some enjoyment out of them anyway, but I just feel like you'll you'll enjoy them more if you get into Trek and you get to those episodes um, with that, that context. But this is one that I think 
think really effectively combines like one of the primary activities that takes place in Star Trek, which is meeting other cultures, having a cultural exchange, developing a dialogue, a lot of Federation philosophy, but also some space danger and and how we deal with like very real life threatening events and get through those situations when you're still learning to communicate with the people around you. And so I thought it was it was a great episode that kind of brought those two big pieces together and um, and definitely one of the seminal episodes of Next Generation. So that's why I picked it. I understand. Yeah, uh, I. I mean, it's not I like you hated it. Even when we were watching it, you were. I think you said it was like at least like a six or a seven in your book or something like. Like right, like you were. You were enjoying it. But <laughs> you also just you had some critiques, and I thought some of them at least were probably fair. I think so. <laughs> I'm de- debating on how harsh I want to go, so I'm trying. I'm trying to word it as as fun as possible. You aren't the yeah, only. Don't one. worry about. Don't don't try to spare my feelings. It's fine. <laughs> Neither oh, we no, nor just... our listeners will be offended, and if I will defend whatever dumb bullshit you say to the death, because it's a TV show. This is fun. Say, get in the paint. Let's go. I'm just trying to keep a level head. I'm just trying yeah. to keep a level head. Uh, Kennedy knows how how like I guess mean I can be. You can be a little contrarian, but you can also be pretty fair in your criticisms too sometimes. <laughs> so I think I did judge it a little bit too much from a 2021 lens. And I think the reason why is that for this episode to work, the alien needed to not be humanoid because the interactions between the alien and Picard, it was too blatant of like what the alien meant by the way his gestures were and all that other stuff. And Kennedy gave me an answer to this that I was not satisfied with. But (laughs) I said when they were in the beginning of their like trying to understand each other and the universal translator wasn't working, I was like, wow, it really does suck that they can't just screen share a MS paint screen and draw what they mean. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? And then um, specifically when he gave him the knife, right? Picard is like too idealistic in this episode to a fault. Yeah. And it's a pretty big fault because he didn't take the knife originally because he's like, I'm not going to have a fight to the death. And I'm like, homie, you are teleported out into a planet in the middle of fucking nowhere. The other leader has two knives on them. If they wanted you dead, you would be dead. Just take the fucking knife. You could take the knife and keep it on your side. Right. Yeah. So Picard Picard should have took the daggers, right? And then I was talking about like, you know, the whole screen sharing with MS Paint and all this other stuff. And I was like, they just need a fucking draw. They just need a fucking draw. You know, if they can't figure it out like verbally or whatever, and Picard's not getting it, even though, even though he was gesturing like, here, take it. It's a gift. Right. There's like a universal yeah. body language yeah. that people understand. Right. Where like in, in a humanoid form, at least. Right. Where we can interpret expressions and emotions that way. And mm-hmm. I like we had a mutual friend of ours just like yelling in my ear, like, what if those gestures mean something completely different? And I'm like, obviously <laughs> not. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, because if any of those gestures meant we're going to start war, like at that point, like he would have just flung a knife at Picard and Par- Picard would just be like, you killed me. And like then if that was a over. risk, like if you could have said something so offensive that a war was started, he probably, yeah, he would have just stabbed you. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then Picard, uh, so they, they were around the campfire, right? And Picard was just starting to get it. They did the, the, the torch and Picard was like, what is this? I'm not going to start war with you. And even though he's like, here, it's obviously a gesture of good faith <laughs> with my body language. Ah. And then Picard comes over to the campfire. The dude, the alien, then draws in the sand what he meant by his words. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> what is going on? And like, I just think that, and, and to finalize my point into one package, I don't think Picard has emotional intelligence as strong not. as You're like right. Captain Kirk does when he comes to reading it and captain kirk even demonstrated that with the mafia because he was the only one to interpret the mafia as being manipulative while everyone right. else was like what i don't understand any of this and captain kirk was like manipulation emotional yeah. i can read that you know like that i thought was that i thought i was like kirk would do a far better job with this and and i think like this was emblematic of like my issue this was like the beginning of my issue with star trek and Kennedy was like, you're just you're just trying to be a contrarian about it. I'm like, no, like, no, I can it's be a balanced. genuine Kirk era. You're a genuine <laughs> Kirk era cat fan. I've and that's fine. Yeah. No. So I think I think your criticism is extremely fair. And although I still consider this one of my favorite episodes of Trek, I think your points about Picard are 100 percent correct. And a lot of people will say that Picard is the best captain. Not even close in my book. Not even close. And I think for me, the reason why he is he's not even my top two is because exactly like you said he's very idealistic and you know and, he, and he's kind of a smug bastard about it a lot yeah. of times yeah he's just yeah. really fucking stuck on himself you know i love patrick stewart i love what he does with the role i think there's a lot of amazing moments for oh, the card but but as a whole he is a very arrogant bastard and let's let's not forget that captain picard is known for his hobby his specialty of the sciences is fucking archaeology so if he's like specializes in studying uh, ancient cultures and interpreting cultural artifacts and he can't figure out these universal gestures open palms it, and stu yeah, like, like, stuff yeah like, like, like no your your criticisms are a hundred percent fair i think the the one thing i would push back on like saying that kirk would have done a better job is that i think kirk would have just fucking stabbed him <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, no, see, I think Kirk, first of all, Kirk could be a diplomat, even if he was a bit of a brute. Especially in the mob Maybe episode. they would have wrestled in the sand a little at some point, but it, I don't think it would have come to stabbing, right? Um... <laughs> He might have given him a right hook if he took offense to something, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I even if I didn't necessarily agree with all of the criticisms that Grav made, what I did definitely agree with is that Kirk would have done a better job, and it's for some of the reasons that you said, and it's because, yeah, Picard at a certain point is definitely just blowing it. I would say at first, it's like, when you were just like, well, they should just use a whiteboard, it's like, well, if they're trying to communicate in metaphors, that may still not work. But when they're at the point of being face-to-face -face on the ground, it did feel like Picard wasn't trying hard enough and whereas kirk's got monkey brain he would have just been like let's figure this out like you know? <laughs> also kirk would have never let the captain of the other ship die period i just want yeah. to point that out yeah. that just would not have happened ow these are both feel like true facts and they hurt yeah, that's pretty brutal. Regardless of how many factors were in the way, Kirk would never, ever, ever, he would have let that monster beat him up first. That is the hammer punch of truth coming down. Ow. 
That is definitely true. <laughs> yeah. And like my biggest thing, right? It's like it, it felt like I understand, right? Like I was like, okay, I get the reason why people like Star Trek because of like, you know, like I play Grifflands. Like negotiations is fun. <laughs> like, let's yeah. be honest. It's fun. It can be done very fun. And I think it can be portrayed very fun, right? Like, I mean, fuck, West Wing got like how many seasons? You know, like sure right like i get it i understand but i felt like it was too easy to be like all right so the universal translator isn't working we can translate most of the words except what is names and locations but the sentences are weird huh if they're not straightforward sentences they would be metaphors it really feels like it takes deanna troy way too long to reach a conclusion it takes everybody too fucking long the psychic doesn't get it is one of <laughs> the, the other psychic. problems also because like she should be able to actually communicate with these guys reasonably well because the emotional content of this information is still going to be at least coherent right like if you can figure out that oh it's a poem great those have feelings well, yeah, and let's let's not forget the guy that's walking around with the entire history of literature for how many worlds in his brain data. It took him a while to catch on to it as well. So, yeah, it was definitely a failure on the Tinji crew all the way around, but still one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Let's remember, this is 1991. Audience <laughs> expectations were it different. Still, it still had some really fun moments. Still had some really fun moments. Yeah, like, to be fair, like, as much as I'm shitting on it, I still think it ended very well, right? I like the fact that, honestly, what saved it was the first lieutenant. The, the guy was like, oh, fuck, I'm gonna have to start war. I gotta get the jump on them first. And I'm like, homie, your leader is still alive. You can like, see him. Like, the enemy leader still has stable readings like it was even before and he was like fuck we need a game plan for war i'm like what the fuck dude like what is wrong with you and then he, <laughs> they, he actually like started blasted and i'm like what <laughs> and like they're all about to get wiped off the face of the like existence they're about to meet god <laughs> and picard comes rushing in like no guys they speak in metaphors give me the fucking line <laughs> They have feelings. Guys, I have feelings. Let me tell them we can talk about this. Oh, the no. The first lieutenant is, like, sweating a fucking storm. <laughs> he is, like, Jordan Peele fucking sweating. Like, that fucking gif that you see on Twitter where he's just drenched in fucking sweat. And he's like, yeah, yeah Picard, everything <laughs> went great. Everything is fine. <laughs> A mysterious alien spaceship approaches your vessel. They take your captain down to another planet. Does this story sound believable? Fact or fiction? Listen, a ah, meteorite ah, ah. was hurling through space by accident hit us. We couldn't see it. Nothing we could have done. Nothing happened. All we right. don't need to talk about this at all. All right, grab. That shit right there saved the episode. Kirk <laughs> hammer punches Picard Shaka. Our eyes open. So uh, <laughs> let's move along to our the episode you were told to watch, uh, which is The Storyteller, which is season one, episode 14 of Deep Space Nine, the one where Kira has to be a cop. No, 13. Oh, 13. Well, they said there's a numeric. There are production codes. In this whichever. is how we ended up with the confusion. I understand. And you also watched. And, and, so 
Kira basically, this is a weird one to talk about right now because yeah, Kira basically is clearing uh, settlements for farming. It's uh, e. nope, nope. That's the next one. Nope. The storyteller oh, is. I have a real Palestine river situation. Paul, you are ten kinds of fucked up. What the hell? <laughs> Look, I, I am really. I sorry. thought I was. You guys all watched me. What's going on? No, I don't My know. Yorker accent's coming out now. No, the storyteller <laughs> is one where O'Brien is briefly a prophet, and there's a river that got moved. And Israel says, you know, that's our land now. Right. That's that one. Oh, my God. And then there's a monster you have to tell a fairy tale to properly. And he doesn't because he's Irish. Yeah. And Irish people, they, they lie while they tell stories. So, you know, they just make up yeah. details. All right, Paul, explain <laughs> to me why you picked this episode, because I was with you uh -uh. with the mobster colony. No. What the fuck? Amy picks this one. No. Amy, Amy yeah, I ain't got an answer for this. She's not here, so we don't know oh. why. I'm sorry, Amy. I love you. You're about to be at my house in like five minutes. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm going to give you why I think this is a good, an important episode or an interesting episode because it is a story about cultural exchange. It is a story where violence is the, you cannot fight this thing. You have to tell a story at it. You have to be bad at it, right? Like our hero fails. He inspires the guy to bother, but like, yeah, his failure is his, his arc and that it is, yeah, again, it is a story about stories and about us telling our stories, making our world what it is. And it's also got the weird land, yeah, essentially post-colonial, decolonial, new apartheid variants of the, on a theme. Looking at this episode from a 2021 lens is fucking horrible. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like the the yeah. the Syrah part isn't that bad, but it's kind of a plot that I've it's kind of goofy for Star Trek, which I think is pretty cool in that aspect. But I've already seen similar episodes like that in uh, The Magicians. I think the religious aspects of this is very interesting. I do like the fact that the prophet was called Surah because surahs in Islam in the Quran is, uh, you know, like Psalms. So that's pretty sick. And I do like the sort of like Muslims sort of like coded things in this episode too hmm. you know obviously it kind of has a sort of anti-religious aspect to it sort of it's kind of a mixed bag in that aspect i think that was probably the most interesting part uh the israel palestine thing though is fucking terrible yeah the politics of those are real bad oh yeah bad yeah, the Israel is essentially showing up with like almost like a caricature of like a wealthy merchant from uh, Grifflands. And uh, you have a child leader for Palestine. And there's a treaty that says everything that's west of this river is Palestine. Um, and then everything east of that river is Israel. And Israel's like, wait, we started this mining operation that gave us a large amount of profit. But oopsie, it actually caused the river to divert land away from our agreed land well it technically it says the river sorry yeah yeah and bulk and skull come in and are like nah you need to like renege on that treaty for uh economic opportunity he <laughs> he it's a very like neoliberal episode and I, I i actually like hate this episode uh to be honest there's plenty <laughs> to hate about it yeah yeah, I think that the B plot, the Pharaoh stuff was kind of interesting. I'll give it that. I also like the fact that, it, you know, it's it's a season one. Like, I know I've watched many season ones of many shows and everybody's getting their bearings. And you know that this show is going to go the distance, you know, at least two to three seasons because of Star Trek. Yeah, DNG is on also right now. This is part of their concurrent, their overlap season. So yeah, this is definitely like, oh no, we're committed to making more Star Trek is known on the table. Yeah. 
Right, exactly. So, like, it's like, you know, we're getting our bearings and this is developing the relationship between us two. And it's a funny, it's a funny sort of thing because, you know, would you be the Syrah if you were in that nation? Because technically, are you doing a moral good, even though it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz type situation? You know, like, you're essentially like driving away the bad elements of humanity by creating a sort of automated solution. But it's a lie. So that's the cross you bear. And you're rewarded for that in gifts from people who are very appreciative of this, right? So it's like, it, it poses a really interesting moral quandary. We'll have to, uh, at some point, have a bonus recording or something where we sit down with Amy and ask, why? Why this episode? <laughs> why? What? Why, did, why did you do this to us? <laughs> why? What inspired? What is? I love you, Amy. You know this. But, uh, but what inspired this pick? I gotta know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I like the moral quandary, so I'll give it like, it's like a four. It's like a four out of ten. Oh, yeah. hold on with all that. I was going to catch I'm going to catch your reviews on the back end like you do. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, my bad. It's interesting, though, that you you picked up on and appreciated the religious aspect of the storytelling part of it with the B-plot. Because we've talked in the past on this show about how Deep Space Nine of all the Trek series is the one that does the best job of like making space for and honoring faith without making it conflict with science. And yet this episode is the worst example of that. <laughs> <laughs> truly yeah it's really hard in general because they have they have numerous omnipotent ish beings just around it's a very weird context for them to treat religion in in general too because the Vajorans like oh no their gods just exist and like do stuff to their world so it changes a lot of the dynamics in any case progress more political stuff we get to see what the Bajoran undershirt looks like Paul, would you let me yes Oh yes, if you want to, if you want to do the honors of describing this episode, please. I <laughs> yes, I, yeah. please. We watched this together. So Bajor is in recovery after being under the thumb of fascist rule for a long time. And that means doing anything they can to try to fix their economy. Because this isn't just like, a, oh, there aren't enough good jobs or something like that. There's literal famines and things still. And so they need to frack a moon. Now, maybe this sucks to some extent, but at the same time, like the situation that they're in is perilous. And so you can kind of understand why they've decided to frack a moon and uh unfortunately some people lived on this moon now most of them were like oh sweet you're offering me a bunch of money to move off the moon whatever fuck it but there's this boomer who is like <laughs> don't tread on me i read the fountainhead and atlas shrug 15 times each and I know that when a man makes his decisions, it's right, period, regardless of how wrong it may seem to everyone else in the entire fucking galaxy. Dunk. Uh, and so, uh, so, so Kira comes down to try to convince the boomer to go, but she can't because he's such a boomer and he tries various ways of dissuading her typical boomer tactics like sexism, Little sexism. Lady. <laughs> sexism and sexism but it doesn't work because and he runs out of options that was all he had so eventually he and kira form a sort of begrudging friendship that starts to get them both in trouble because he's thinking about maybe i'm being a little bit too much of a stick in the mud although only barely considering this at all and kira is having a mental breakdown and considering quitting her job because of PTSD. And that's basically the episode. And then Kira at the end is just like, fuck it, I'm a cop. Get on the ground. You're leaving the moon. Yeah. And then she sets his house on fire. <laughs> 
And underneath all that, Nog and Jake are selling <laughs> stem bolts. Yeah. A prop which comes back yes, again and again. That's the best part. They pay this off again and again. The new series, there's always a stem bolt. The paperclip story. So yeah, okay, let's start with the horrible part and we'll move so to the funny part. stem bolts. You don't want them to, you don't have to seal them manually. Yeah, so to be clear, that A plot is garbage. Yeah, but let's deal with this A plot, this garbage A but plot first. Because it's more, oh yeah. The you got the yamak sauce. It's actually amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, but let's but talk about the shitty A plot first. Does anyone ever think they want to say about it? <laughs> I mean, it's bad boomer politics. We know. I think, yeah, the space boomer is great. Sovereign citizen, really, is what he is. He's a Bajoran sovereign citizen. I earned this moon. So it's like he's a white settler, which I think makes the, the argument for him less valid in its portrayal. And then I think it's like liberals keep wasting their time on appealing to edgelords and then at the end become fascists. When realistically, <laughs> like the solution the whole time was to not waste your fucking time and just do it. Like there's multiple warnings being given out, right? It's like, here's a notice, you know, a couple years from now, we're planning on mining the moon or maybe like whatever, right? However, the timeline is for this. Here's war. enough money to take all of the shit you have here to Bajor and we'll put it on a plate. Guaranteed housing, guaranteed income, guaranteed land. You know, free health. No, no, I want to live alone on the moon. Alone. With people that don't talk. And I swear they consent to also not leaving. Yeah, that's hella bad. The next thing was, oh, everyone's getting evacuated. And like by everyone, we mean literally everyone except us three. And there were thousands of people here. What the fuck? And then she came down and was like, hey, you are the last three people. You're literally gonna suffocate and die on this asteroid. Come with us. And he goes and says, we are dying on this planet. I'm not leaving. Stop cool. it. Cool. Let's go. Crank up the Genesis machine. Right. And you just go, all right, you know, we gave you a warning when we announced our plans for this. It passed. We gave you a warning when we evacuated the entire fucking planet. And hundreds of millions won't starve for this. I sent down a leader of a really important arm of the government to go see you personally to ask you to evacuate and you still said no. So clearly that's it. This is where you guys will die. You know, that's it. And it really revealed her politics as like this liberal, you know, like this like woke liberal, right? Like uh, the, the radical liberal of like 2016 to 2020, right? Where it was all about like sharing certain things or making Trump furious by donating to John Oz. Off. Like that type of stuff where like they don't really consider like accessibility rights, rights for the disabled, etc. You know, the, the, all that stuff doesn't fucking matter. We need to appeal to the edgelords because these are the voters that's going to get us to win. And that's essentially it. And she realizes, holy shit, I'm actually like CIA for the empire. And like my boss is telling me this. And like I should have noticed this. Like, yeah, you're a fucking major on a Space station, yeah. dude. You were a terrorist a year ago. Yeah, she was she she spent like a substantial portion of her life. Like, I mean, I think in the show she's what in her like mid or late 30s. It's like five, ten years that they fought that we definitely can say five, ten years of fighting. Oh no, more actively, than that. No, like, she started with the militia when she was 13. Like, that's canon. 
Okay, because that actress does not look thirteen from what I remember those scenes of being. So yeah, fair enough. No, no, sure. but she's I... but she but it's it's established. It says in in the show that she started with the militia when she was in the resistance movement when she was thirteen, and she's what at least in her mid thirties in the series, at least, right? Yeah, so we're talking thirty years of twenty years right, rather so we're talking of just 20, straight... twenty years, twenty years of being a fucking terrorist, and now suddenly she's got to play by all the freedom rules. fighter. Like, please, I, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> she didn't read theory. But she calls herself a terrorist. She calls herself a terrorist. To be fair, but well, yes. I mean that's fine. Um, but they, look, the universal translator <laughs> yeah. is weird that way when words mean the same thing. Yeah. It sucks. It's bad to see it. You see that happen all the time. My point being is like it was a hard turn she had to make and and this episode illustrated that she was not yet ready to make that transition. She did a video on StarTube why I left the left, you know? <laughs> like just blow up that dude's pontoon boat and let's go to town. Come on. The storage unit full of bullshit is not worth it. <laughs> We're moving on with our lives. The thing about it is that Kira is actually one of the best characters in all of Trek and definitely one of the best characters on, on Deep Space Nine. And, you know, her journey is really interesting and nuanced in a lot of ways. And this episode just doesn't do justice to that. I liked it because you know what? It helped with an episode that was five seasons later and it helped me understand her politics then. This is a long form show. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I will say that I actually liked that part. I liked the way this episode ended. I thought it was very revealing and telling of her character. And although I don't like that person, I think that it's a good portrayal of that sort of character, right? We give credit to villains and stuff all the time on uh, on Sentai Truther Club. Oh, you gotta love them. You gotta, yeah. The good character choices are good character choices. Like the way you gotta do is... Uh, but that B-plot? Oh, no, like hell yeah. Let's talk about Gamic sauce right. and symbols. So it's Nog the paperclip rules. story, but mm -hmm. it's Nog. Jake and Nog hear that Quark has this yamak sauce that he doesn't necessarily want anymore. It's Cardassian fish sauce. They love it, but it turns out only Garak lives here. Right. And so, uh, you know, it'd be like, you know, if you just had some really strange sauce that just like Americans just didn't understand and you just have crates of it sitting at the docks and you can't put it back on a boat, you know, and you're <laughs> like, dang it, why, why do I have this? And so that's how well, you have feels. it because Nazis love it. It's Nazi sauce. Yes. They love the it. Nazis Fascists love, love it. it. And, and they like, used to oh. be here all the time. I had a, it's like ketchup to them. I needed to have it or they would kill me. I run a bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like it's space nazi ketchup that's at least a reasonable why do you have this? nazi sauce yeah wow, you have nazi okay. sauce <laughs> like if i just had like a hundred thousand self-sealing stem bolts or something like that <laughs> and like someone was like i will give you five hundred thousand like gallons of fucking ketchup i'd be like Hmm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. At least I could use it. Like, how many binder clips is a ketchup? Yeah. No, this is just a beautiful one. This is just a fun character story. Nog rules. Because Aaron Eisenberg, that, that actor yes. gets better and better, and this character's arc just keeps getting yeah. more awesome. Is the whole, yeah. Definitely. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, Vulcan Skull is good in this episode, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On one of our previous episodes of this show, Rachel had said that the Frankie is why you should watch Deep Space Nine, and I, I agree, because when you go back and watch, assuming you will, if you do go back and watch Next Generation, the Ferengi are just portrayed in such a just miserable light. They're such caricatures. It's not funny. They're just not good, not good characters, but they are brilliant in Deep Space Nine. And what I do love about this plot 
between Jake and Nog on this particular episode is that the whole first season is about uh, there's this the through line of the friendship between those two. And at first, Cisco doesn't approve of the two of them being friends because he thinks Nog is trouble. And, you know, he's a parent of a teenager. So he's like trying to keep his kid out of trouble. He's right. That grifter kid right. is not hanging out with my boy. I'm going to send him off to Naval Academy. My sweet little boy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But like they develop such a beautiful friendship in <laughs> this episode is, is a great exploration of how they learn to appreciate one another's cultural values and approaches to solving problems and how they learn to work together. And that becomes like a really important thread that plays out throughout the rest of the show. Yeah, it's just amazing. And, you know, essentially, it's like they start with this stuff that's sort of worthless-ish. They convince Quark to basically let them throw it away. And then they start trying to sell it. But no one can pay for it what they want. They want five bars of latinum. That's what Nog is determined is the value. Seems a little vague, but it also seems maybe realistic. I don't know. So Just let it go. Everyone's like, I can't pay that. I'll trade you something. So then they've got self-sealing stem bolts. They try to sell those. It turns out those are so weird, by the way. They sell the self-sealing stem bolts. So the guy who exchanged the yamak sauce for the self-sealing stem bolts only had those around because he was supposed to give those to somebody else who was trying to buy them. So then they traded the yamak sauce, which essentially was free, right? Because Nog's father or uncle mm -hmm. had all this yamak sauce and couldn't do anything with it. So it was essentially worthless. It's fantastic. It's such a great, like, this is a restaurant sitcom B storyline just dressed up in Star Trek. It's like mining Bitcoin in 2013. Yeah. You got, you're sitting on a truck stop. A bunch of merchandise keeps coming in the warehouse. And like, nobody wants these things. Like, all right, well, I'll take the Yamak sauce, but you own these things. Like, I don't want these. Fuck, they're heavy. I'm like, great. Now what? Oh, shit. Land. Boom. And also, they're apparently such an obscure engineering item that Miles O'Brien doesn't know what they're for, which scares the hell out of them, understandably. <laughs> because if Miles O'Brien has never heard of this part, then no one uses them. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then Nog gets the brilliant idea of getting these self-sealing stem bolts and selling it to the guy who was gonna pay for it but didn't have the money for it and just sell it to him at a cheaper price. And he was like one latinum bar guy still didn't have latinum but he had a piece of land cash is hard to come by in the future yeah the piece of land is this like small piece of land that they can't really do anything with but apparently it's this now a critical little family farm land that there. everybody wants yeah and then nog then makes a deal with his uncle and it's amazing i love it it's a good grifter storyline can we just take a moment to appreciate the fact that in the Trek future, that a piece of land on a planet is worth like basically a bucket of bolts? <laughs> it's Yakuza. It's all Yakuza <laughs> all over again. Well, but also there's just so I many mean, planets. I mean, have you been to that planet? There's not a lot there. And yeah. there's a lot of planets. Once they started yeah. making those yeah, there's just so many habitable planets. It makes me think of that that ad that keeps coming up on Facebook where they're selling like a square foot of land in Scotland to get you a lordship title. I think it's hysterical. Oh yeah, that's funny. I could just print you a certificate. Don't do that. <laughs> Hold on. Like Can I will charge send me you a link. No, don't. Yeah, I'll find God it. damn. No, don't send him links. <laughs> don't click on things. Come on. Engagement is. is uh, I want to be a lord in Scotland. Let's <laughs> fucking go. Trev, you're a lord in hey, our hey. heart. Dave, 
I'm no. land in Scotland. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Far Beyond One the Stars. Foot. One of the yes, best episodes, episode which that... is not even a sp- it's not even about science fiction. I don't understand. Wait, why didn't is. you guys give me this episode? <laughs> Wait, what what is because wrong? this is because because this is one of the episodes that is like one of my very favorite episodes in all of Trek. But I felt like you would appreciate it more if you had like the whole canon of DS Nine at least with you when you went into that episode. No, I didn't need it. It was amazing. What? I agree with, you know, we were clearly wrong because I agree with why Grav enjoyed it so much and we've talked about it a bunch already. But I did have kind of somewhat similar feelings. I was like, this is an episode, I I really like, I almost picked it and then I was like, first of all, I kind of needed some lighter stuff this week for personal reasons. And then second of all, I was like, I don't know, maybe you need to know the characters too much. I don't know. Ah." And I just talked myself out of it and I shouldn't have. And when you said you were going to, you remember though, when you said you were going to watch it, I was like, oh, that's Pog. Can we watch it right now? And you were like, no, I have to go to bed. And I was like, all right. (laughs) It was like midnight at that point, to be fair. Um, So you're listening to a Star Trek podcast. If you need Far Beyond the Stars explained to you, what is wrong with you? So anyway, yeah. Grav, talk to us about how you loved this other orb, again, orb experience. Well, how did you you find out about this show? How did you find out about this episode? Oh, this is funny. (laughs) So there's a a Twitter user at Java underscore Jigga. Uh, He goes by Netscape, any pronouns, but uh, for the sake of podcast. Tell him I love the web browser Uh, and really wish that they weren't done dirty but <laughs> but uh he he said uh he did a tweet that said that uh there's a star trek episode where they say the n-word with the hard r i'm ascending and i was like what <laughs> what, what? <laughs> and everybody was like that deep space nine episode and i was like what we gotta add this and I was like, what would be the Star Trek reason to add dialogue like that? I wanted to know why, you know? So did they do, did they make the hurdle? Yeah. What, what a, like, that was a fantastic performance. Like that was like yeah. Emmy award winning performance oh, yeah. right there. I'm I'm so surprised that there was no awards for that. Avery Brooks at the top of this game. Yeah. It's also worth noting he directed the episode too uh, and had a lot of creative control over it in general. He wasn't going to let Jonathan Frakes show up and tell him how to do it. That would have been weird. Yeah. (laughs) William Riker explaining how to properly do racial slurs to black people. Yeah, Yeah. that would have gone great. Let's Um, let's let Avery (laughs) handle that. Thanks. And it's a theme that actually gets visited quite a bit in Deep Space Nine. It's one of the reasons why Deep Space Nine is my favorite series. And Avery Brooks had a huge amount of influence on this. The fact that they talk about like America's history with racism and white supremacy and just like the lingering pain of that and the importance of not whitewashing it. That's, That's a theme that gets revisited a lot. For example, he uh, gets really mad about the 1950s Vegas holodeck simulation because, duh, right? like there's other casinos in the universe you could have gone to that didn't have a white guys only policy. Right, exactly. So like that's a theme that's throughout Deep Space Nine, but like this, the crucible of it is this episode and is definitely like Avery Brooks at the top of his form. It's an amazing, amazing episode. 
I think yeah. that theme is really relevant right now, too, in a time when, like, we just have been dealing with this pride season where we have this whole discourse where there are young queer folks that don't really understand how their rights came to be, that are saying foolish things on TikTok, especially, like, right-leaning queer folks. I'm putting that in quotes because that's just a weird statement. And Jake and Cisco kind of go through this journey throughout the show where, where like, Jake doesn't fully appreciate what it means to have the modern rights that you have under Starfleet because he doesn't understand how they were won. And even if they aren't perfect, to be clear, he still, like, he he just sort of takes a lot of it for granted. And, like, his dad, like, really wants to impart on him not to do that. And that's a really important running theme that you kind of see an interesting reflection of here. Yeah, you do. Yeah, he is one of the better dads on television at the time. He is remarkably one of the single fathers that even exists. Yeah, yeah, positive black single father. I mean, that's just like a for 90s television. That's like and Picard killed his wife. Wow. It's a whole thing. Yeah. It's not. It's like a and it's Picard a very power killed his fucking. Oh, my God. Well, she was at Wolf 359, dude. The board <laughs> fucking slaughtered millions. That's what I'm saying. It's weird. Yeah. No, you're, you're it's true. I'm just angry to have this fucking truth or yep. realization. It's at the beginning of the episode. Of, of episode one, Damn season it, one. I just hate Picard more. I'm calling it. He's my least favorite captain. There, I said it. He's he's second from the bottom for me. I'm willing to hear this. We might have to do a tier ranking here, but we're gonna let's so let's keep pushing through. This is a great. It's great. Tier episode. rankings it's are great. fun. Definitely do them. Like this is a great piece to the series. It's wonderful. It's all period piece. It's an orb episode. Sentai's. All right. So this episode is the story of a liberal being radicalized to the left. Yes. Yeah. And because for Avery's character to get a job at the post, you know, writing science fiction stories, it means he did have to bend the knee to the white man at some point in his life to get there, to be monetarily okay, right, in the hood, because that's where he lived. And his son's character didn't have that same take on bending the knee in this episode. His son's takeaway from experiencing racism firsthand is, they're going to treat me like one anyway. Might as well embrace it for what it is and do crimes. And it kind of like perpetuated and fed the machine, right? And then Avery kind of thought that he was like going against the system by working for this as like being like a, an actual like black employee, even though he was disguised under his like pen name and like all this other stuff. There was still like some sort of like progression in that, right? And that the newsroom was filled with what would be like neoliberals or liberals, so to speak in there with a couple of radicals of course in there as well but for the most part it was a lot of like neo-lib and lib shit that was in there and you can see like the way they interacted with avery's work was incredible right like they, it was like true to the character that they played in star trek and i think that that was just mwah, that was like chef's kiss all throughout fantastic all throughout and like i think the only thing that i got to appreciate more out of this episode by having watched the other episodes that i had watched was two things actually the klingon wharf wharf commenting about the blackface and then him being the sort of maybe not like black liberal like more or less like black reactionary who's kind of just like jaded with the system right but he's just like ah, hey, you know i get paid 
paid whatever at the end of the day. You know, I get rewarded when I come to the hood. That's all that really matters. And then I go to sleep. I wake up the next day and I experience stardom in my neighborhood. Right. But like him, who is a Klingon, who is a part of like a big, huge empire. Right. Like he was the boot and he was the boot licker right as well so in this case he is also the bootlicker but it, it's it's like a very like interesting way to combat the system because although he has representation now as being this sort of like black man that's a part of a baseball team he still ain't shit right to the white folk so it's such a very interesting race dynamics there and that of course played a part with it also mira who like i said defaulted to being a fascist right by taking them with her and mm -hmm. for Forcing them against their will off of Bajor, she defaulted to fascism at the end as well because she didn't stand up for Avery's comic. Right. So that also made me appreciate it even more. The fact that if you're a liberal who starts critiquing the system and starts going against the system, you're either insane or a communist. I was right? going to point that out. The gaslighting mental illness part of this episode is really crucial because, of mm -hmm. course, like every person who's ever been marginalized by modern imperialist powers has gone through this essentially where, you know, you're dealing with this feeling like, am I going crazy what the fuck is going on and he portrays that so powerfully where like you know there are these moments where cisco is unsure is he the one that is crazy or is it the world that is crazy and of course it's definitely the world that is crazy in this sense but that's a hard thing to try to wrap your head around you know like this entire society around me is lunatic racist society holy shit you know and and just grappling with that and then being gaslit by so many of the people around him that was really powerful and like just really like what else on 90s television even attempted to talk about that Nothing. issue that's an issue that we still have in our politics today yeah, and yeah. The, the crazy thing is, is that to add on to Worf's character, Worf is coming at the tail end of like the Klingon Empire, you know, just kind of done as far as my understanding of it is, right? It's not done, but it, it's ending its era of extreme empire and bloodshed and moving into a slightly yeah. less... It's uh, the, age, less, the age of the age of Martok less conquering is and more political. Yeah. But yeah. in this context, he is a black man that is now growing up into an adult in being segregation era. So it worked what? on so many levels. It was just incredible. There's another like really important history with Worf's character that you'll get to know if you watch more shows. And that is that like he's a Klingon, but he was raised by humans on Earth because he like there his whole family or at least he thought his whole family was wiped out at a thing that happened and so he was raised like separate from Klingon society and like sought out Klingon culture and traditions as a way to claim his identity and then he joins Starfleet and he just gets like endless amounts of shit from other Klingons for like basically like you were raised by humans and now you work for humans so you're just you're not even really one of us and and he just like constantly feels like an outsider 
but he also he's still too Klingon yeah. for the humans, yeah that's the thing right? like, so it's like the Klingons don't accept him yeah yeah like he's so he's he's like he's like a Klingon purist in a way in a way that's like too pure for the the most for like the average the Klingon Klingons don't Klingons. actually act that way they don't give that much of a right. shit about honor but they're happy like, to stab each other in the dark if that's what need be like yeah you just don't write about it you know right. it wasn't in the book exactly so. exactly but like he is like super by the book kind of kind of Klingon because that's what he had you know since he wasn't raised within the context of his own culture right, that reclamation of missing culture means everything to him and i think that tension is is displayed in his portrayal in this particular episode is what i'm what i'm getting at i want to also add on to the fact that like there's the obviously the hotep type of stuff that goes on in this episode and the religious aspect of it so like this episode also features a very important character and that's um cisco's father and cisco's father in the hallucination is a very religious man he's uh, he's a priest uh who is a uh, christian i believe Yes, it just gives them an excuse to say the prophets, which are the space gods. So it calls back to the rest of the show. Like it's attempting to it's sort of drawing him back out. Right, 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 right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all in an like it's fifty for, when it's fifties America. Yeah, so yeah, he's stuff. Christian because yeah. that's what you Abrahamic. Care. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like that sort of lived experience, I was very happy that that religious aspect was introduced as it because I feel that like had religion not been introduced out of it, at it, it would have not made sense for a 1950s uh, black American because I feel that atheism as a trend here in America is more or less like a very like white driven thing in a sort of like liberal sense of the word, especially like that was like very predominant in early internet culture as it was formed. Forming, right like reddit is a huge proponent sure. of that and our atheism but in this case you know avery was also kind of sort of religious but not really and like his father would like help try and guide him using these metaphors in the hallucination that were like religious so to speak and i felt that that added like a really important aspect to like how he was able to cope with his current world which was to believe in a sort of like otherworldly sense of being and that also like helped his character progress forward. I do think that it's a little bit too out there. Like it's not really a resolved thread from the religious aspect, but I do appreciate it for what it is. And I think it added onto it excellently. Yeah. I want to highlight one other thing that may have been less obvious to you or not. I don't know, but just especially because you hadn't seen quite as much of the show and may not have picked up on this yet. But Armin Shimmerman, who plays Quark, is Jewish. And there's a whole interesting history with the Ferengi being kind of a problematic Jewish stereotype. But Armin Shimmerman kind of working hard to help fix that. And that dude acts through fake teeth and and the whole look like he really yeah. lays down some acting out of a, from under that face. It is wild. Yeah. So in this episode, he is Herbert Rossoff. And although it's very much like a C plot to the many things going on, there is just a hint of like, oh, anti-Semitism is also like something that this show has a problematic history with and that America has a problematic history with, isn't it? Sexism shows up in this one too, because remember yep. they were talking about how they were do uh, they were going to take photos of of all the writers, and they they told Cisco you can well Cisco wasn't his name in that context, but they told him like oh you you can be out sick that day, and you know she says oh yeah I guess I'm going to be out sick that day too yeah because they don't yeah. want to see that they don't want to know that women are writing stories like what the hell what will people think? It turns out shitty fanboys have been like that forever. 
Yeah. Who'd have thought? And poor yeah. Rene Abrajan, because like the guy that plays Odo, because they boy like he's he's such a delightful person and his character of Odo is so interesting, but the role that he had to play in this episode was wow. Yeah. And, wait, and, um, and Jeffrey Coombs and uh Great job. And and um oh, yeah. uh, what's his name? The guy, the guy who plays Ducat. Mark Alamo. Mark Alamo. Or Alamo. Yeah, Alamo. Those yeah. guys they are playing some brutal villains and wonderful stuff. And it is wild to see Jeffrey Coombs just regular human face. That was fun. He is in oh right, sorry, Grav. He is in every episode of this show eventually. He has like seven yeah. characters that are sometimes all in an episode, all in different faces. Yeah. Like he's got a Ferrari. No, he's, he's in got multiple a, series. He's yeah. in Enterprise. I, I don't think he ever show, does he show up in Voyager? Oh, I yeah, almost certainly. I need I to look at. We can yeah. look, but yeah, no, he's one of the great. Yeah. Like all the the guys who are like, oh wow, you have a lot of you are like, oh shit, that's who that is, and not realizing it halfway through yeah. is also a lot of fun with those. But they give the, those guys do some brutal villainy. Yeah, they do. But I mean, like that's the that's the like obvious on the nose racism that they did. I liked uh, the high quality standards, you know, the obfuscating the racism, you know, and then you have to kind of like, even though you know what they mean by it, but it's kind of like an open secret sort of thing. And like Avery's character is the only one that's like, well, I, I feel like I'm fucking crazy here, but I'm just stating the obvious, you know, like we all know it, you know, just fucking tell me getting fed up with the libs. They do speak the truth to power a little bit in this episode, though, even if they're couching a lot of it. I mean, there's the aforementioned N-word. But then there's also Quark's character in the dream calls Odo's character a fascist, which especially for 90s television feels like not a small deal. You know, now in like modern television, that doesn't feel like necessarily as jarring. But at that time, especially like, when he steps up and says that, it's like, whoa. And like, they did take some moments to just put it right on its head this episode. And I think that was important, even if a lot of it was ultimately couched. Well, it's still, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, it's still ultimately, it has to be a television show you want to enjoy watching. And that's not what you signed up for a random episode of Star Trek for, necessarily. You came for some high moralizing. You came for some weird orbs. Didn't necessarily come for a huge amount of beatings and racial slurs. But you got one of each, and that is how that... It's a great episode, though. It is one of the things... And that, again, that is why would you watch that? Because it's one of the best pieces of science fiction ever fucking written. It's one of the best episodes of television, period, ever. Yeah. In my I opinion. like the fact that it was like Avery's response to the criticism of like, why have the captain be black? And then like when they're in the director's room or whatever, and they're or the editorial room, and they're talking about like the changes they need to make about what would get the story approved. And it's like, oh, well, instead of having a colored captain, how about let's have a boy dreaming, a colored boy dreaming of a colored captain? Maybe that would work you know as and like couch it in a dream because it kind of guts out the story but at least it exists right no it speaks to that kind of intellectual yeah. compromise that like okay do you want the story told or not and you're like kind of i mean yeah but that's not the story then which is the i guess the tension of that right in the context of this episode and this discussion piece of very unflattering trick trivia that some people may not know is that during the filming of Deep Space Nine, the whole series, Avery Brooks was consistently targeted by security at the lot where they were filming to have his vehicle searched every time he would leave the lot to see that he wasn't stealing props. Like it happened a lot almost several times a week at least and he he's told that story a few times but a lot of people have not heard it so you can just imagine like he's playing a black lead 
a single father in the 90s on this show that's continuously grappling with these really complicated and uncomfortable and painful stories. And he's literally experiencing that firsthand by the same people that are producing the show with him. It's appalling, but not shocking. The police brutality scene was incredible. Yeah. 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 So by season six, he says, hey, I want to make a thing about how you guys all suck and have for six years. Well, and I think there's a large extent to which part of why Deep Space Nine was good was because of Avery and several other cast members and writers consistently banding together and fighting against the producers who wanted a much more sterile show. And if you put it side by side against Voyager, there's a reason why Voyager looks like, you know, old milk. And there's things I like about Voyager, don't get me wrong, but when you put them side by side, it's like Voyager always pulled its punches with like 90% of its serious commentary and like rarely actually went for the throat in a meaningful way um and i think a lot of that had to do with the behind the scenes the fact that there was a a lot of people working on deep space nine that were relatively left leaning and saying no we signed up for star trek we grew up on the original series on socialism for say what you will about the original series many problems but it was socialist and so yeah you know they were like we want that and to the credit of you know Avery and some of the others, I mean, they threatened to just basically pull the plug because Avery knew at a certain point that if he walked, the show was over. And so, and, I mean, he's, you know, the, they he, once they made to, him the Messiah, yeah, you kind of have to leave him on the show. It's a good move. Though. It's like, <laughs> The last thing I want to mention about this episode is the ending. So I was talking about how, like, if they made it a dream, it would be, you know, kind of gutless in a sense, but at least it would exist. Well, that whole part of the episode, the 1950s part in and of itself was a dream. And then, like, that whole story wasn't gutless at all. Like, I came out of all of that, like, freaking in tears. It was a powerful moment, you know? And I get moments like that from Power Rangers as well, you know? Like, I can think back to, like, when I got emotional from, like, thinking about Jason's performance as Zeo Gold and, like, or at some points, Billy. But that, like, straight hits you straight in the gut, and it wasn't gutless at all. And, man, just, just an incredible fucking episode. Loved it. Yeah. I'd say a couple of things. Going back to the point you were making about Voyager, I think you're right that Avery Brooks... First of all, is such a powerful figure, but he definitely had more support, I think, in the cast. And in Voyager, right. you know, it's pretty well documented how much Kate Mulgrew worked to pull her her weight to stay away from like demeaning and sexist storylines and ultimately lost that battle because Rick Berman exists. And she didn't get the same level of support from her fellow cast members because let's face it, her primary co-star was Robert Beltran, who's a real dick. (laughs) Anyway. A lot of problems with that. Yeah, I think if she had had the same level of support from the broader cast, then I think Voyager could have been a stronger show. And I love Voyager. I No, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think that overlap with TNG is kind of, I mean, it's like a sort of diminishing returns of that power differential, right? Like TNG is doing the best it can, but like they were able to lend their weight to DS9, which gave them the oomph necessary, but they could not just carry that same because like Voyager leaves from Deep Space Nine. So Mm -hmm. the shows are concurrent for a couple of years, but they just don't have the ability to leverage that cast the same way that they may have been able to get Patrick Stewart or other people to go to bat for them. Because what is it? Uh, Because if Freaks and LeVar Burton both direct numerous episodes of DS9, but less so in Voyager. 
In any case, yep. this has been wonderful. Y'all gonna be yeah. listening to more of the of of the uh, Star Treks? You're gonna be. I mean, Kennedy, you are, but Grav. Well, Kennedy, you've had already, so it's not you know the introductory quest. The question of how do I make people? Well, like let's do thing. our reviews. Do it. Like, give me the numbers. So, uh, piece of the action. That's Monster Planet. Oh, yeah. so in Sensei Truther Club. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, tell me how your system works. So in Sensei Truther Club, we have something called the pizza episode, which we reference quite a bit. And basically, it's an episode where the Power Rangers get baked into a pizza. <laughs> and uh, it's a 10 out of 10. It's in the series uh, Power Rangers Turbo. And uh, this would be that equivalent. So I give it a 10. Yeah. Yeah. This okay. is very much the pizza episode. Let's just go around and I'll do it. Um, and I'll I'll say mine is also this is this is a ten. Super fun. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a ten because of Kirk's performance as a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give it to, I mean, yeah, I defer to this as our system. This is a piece of the action mobster episode is our pizza episode. So uh, we're, 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 yeah, liberating more of your technology. Uh, it's a Borg thing. It doesn't hurt a lot. <laughs> Trust me, I've only adapted from tech of previous podcasts. You wouldn't, yeah, it's fine. I'm going to say we just wanted you to be part of our ad network. So let's move along then. <laughs> uh, trials and Tribulations. The Tribbles and Time Travel and, oh golly, it's so many of the things that Star Trek is. It's a 10 for me. It's like, it's a, like an 11, actually, because it's just so delightful. It's an episode made with love, right? Like it is a it is a, a love letter to the series on its 30th anniversary. It's a, like this is also a 10, but it is not a pizza episode. It is not mobster episode, pizza episode kind of qual like it is beautiful and perfect in every way, though. I'm going to stick with mobster episode as our pinnacle. I think I have to give it a 9.5 and just ding it that half a point for not being willing to fully address the weird shit. Like, <laughs> oh, I love the yeah. addressing. That's true. They should have done a slightly better job with addressing the weird shit but that's literally the only like i i'm even gonna say it's a 9.75 like you have Fair. to be like a little bit like let it be in its time and all that but it is still like i was just like come on <laughs> you're gonna make michael dorn say that oh my god that is cringe and as good as everything else is that is cringe so it's yeah loved it it's one of those things for me that you turned you turned i was like wait this is actually <laughs> some of the funniest shit i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> it is legitimately one of the funniest episodes of trek ever written probably <laughs> even in lower decks and like the comedy stuff they're starting to write is great but this is like a funny comedic episode of star trek where they don't really do a lot of jokes because again they're real bad at them but this is all fun setups and weird situations and cute references and little blow kisses to people that know dumb bullshit about this show and you even loved it so yeah i appreciate the meta stuff i just think that the overall plot isn't that interesting like it's cool i appreciate the meta stuff but i just didn't think that the overall plot was like oh you know no no, no. wasn't that exciting for me yeah well it has to attach itself to a 1960s television plot so there's a lot of room to play because there's a lot of empty space in there but you gotta meet it up where it is darmok his score lowered picard shattered under the hammer <laughs> fists of kirk i feel like this episode is still great i i want to give it a seven or eight i'm gonna give it an eight but y'all are right kirk would have done it 
better arm wrestle yeah anything yeah like way more emotive captain and like captain picard's kind of a nerd it's a well-established he doesn't deal with children he like and he's playing with that he's like yeah this is not my fucking forte i'm a weird stodgy captain that knows how to do a bunch of shit knows all the federation rules so i'm a crazy lawyer guy but yeah you put me on the ground with a guy with a knife i don't know what to do with this I give it an eight because of its place in the canon in establishing like the complexities and the failures of technology to solve all problems about how you communicate with other species, which is a thing we talked about on this podcast before. So I take the criticisms. I agree with them. And I, I will agree that the TNG crew is not at their best in this episode, but I still it's one of my favorites. I give it an eight. Yeah, I'm going to apologize and say I'm sorry for getting metaphorical, not intentional. But I just want to say that this episode, I give an eight. I'm going to start with the good and say that it's an eight. I think if the first lieutenant and the captain swapped, the show would have been better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Riker would have handled it better, too. Riker would have fucked him right in the Darmok. Like, it would have been great. Like, yeah. Shaka, the yeah. wall Riker should have been captain. Uh, yeah, they, uh, no. they, again, same thing as Kirk. They wrestle in the sand for a little bit and then they figure it out. Re- same thing with Riker. <laughs> Which is what Riker is. Riker's the boy toy of the show. Riker would have done better. I think Riker saved that episode. And I think for it to truly work, like even like something like Fringe, which I know kind of sucks because it's like 20 years later. Fringe has an episode where like the there's like these people from the future and they're like human, you're humans, but they're like evolved past a certain point And like their facial expressions and stuff is like very reptilian and, and stuff like that. You can't really make out like what they want. It had to at least be that or just give me like cockroach, like just give me like Phantom Zone giant cockroach talking star trek is more than happy to give you a big ball of gas as a good guy bad guy whatever that you could very easily yeah it's it's not necessarily out of step for that i feel like you're right that could definitely have been but it's a good premise and a good one of the we could have given you worse episodes i'll say that Uh, (laughs) storyteller the one that's a metaphor but not in fact we did give you worse episodes (laughs) yeah yeah uh i'm gonna say that's a four yeah that's legit i'm gonna still stick by that I think it probably belongs at a four, but only because of the like, ooh, storytelling as a tool that will solve problems you can't solve with other tech. Because I mean, storytellers like stories about stories. It's why you shouldn't write writers, shouldn't write things about writers because you're like, we know. Fair progress. You direct (laughs) Israeli settlers, another direct Israeli settler metaphor. I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. I'm going to give it a three because I think it does a lot of disservice to Kira's character. I think progress is better than storyteller, personally. I think so as well. And I'm going to give it like a five. (laughs) I'm going to give it a six. I think although Kira is a shitty character in this, I think it was an honest portrayal. And I appreciate that. I get into that. I'm going to stick with you at six because it's fun to watch boomers get their big green eggs blown up. (laughs) Uh, Far beyond the stars. This is an 11. 20 out of 10. Sorry. Yeah. One of the best things that's ever been written and made. There's like a, I forgot what exactly it is, what it's called, but it's called like, it's like a meteor episode in Power Rangers uh, Lightspeed Rescue, which is my favorite season. I give it like a 10 out of 10 for that season. I gave that episode a 12 out of 10. I was allowed two points to go over, so I max out at 12 and I stick by that. I give that episode a 12. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the Devil's Dozen 11, but it's it does the same job when it's over 10 because, yeah. We've, yeah, 
broke that needle. And I, I'm um, just going to agree with Grav here. We we usually say we only break the scale by two in either direction. That's our standard at the Sentai Truther Club. So it's a 12. As good as it gets. All right, fine. Then I'll give it a 12. Perfect. I mean, <laughs> you can do whatever. This is, you know, that's our show's standard. Your show's standard could be something else. We're here merging our shows. So, yeah, you know. Unfortunately, your distinctiveness has been made part of our own now. And you've been assimilated. <laughs> so, that's right. Uh, Unimatrix 420. Uh, is ready to roll. Uh, so that has been <laughs> Star Trek Truther Club. I am Paul Byron. This is Corey. Say goodbye, Corey. Yep, I'm Corey. I'm saying bye. <laughs> Grav? This is Grav. I'm at Gravcast on Twitter. Uh, you can follow my lovely comrade Kennedy at Kennedy T. Cooper. We have a podcast called Sentai Truther Club. It's at Sentai Truther, of course. And uh, it's a show about us dissecting and critically analyzing seasons of Power Rangers. It's elongated. Typically, a season is about three episodes. We go from the intro episodes to our picks of best and worst, kind of like what you guys did over here, though. This was supposed to introduce me to Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we go from the intros to our best and worst to a season review where Kennedy and I just sit with no guests and it's just me and them and we talk about the seasons we've watched. Paul over here was on Dino Thunder. Oh, and that was bad. That was the best and worst of that season, right? I was the weirdest. I think you did not have best and worst because you did not care yeah. for, because of the, I believe Kennedy gave in the review that season was rated lesser than the sum of its parts where the whole <laughs> taken together made it worse. And yeah, I believe that they, I had a great time. These were fun to watch. They were fun to watch. Yeah, especially yeah. when you don't know the context. And I think the choices you made for me informed the choices I made for you. It's like, all yeah. right, I guess these people are friends. Is it, did yeah. you say he was his dad? Okay, great. There is dad. All right. Um. <laughs> I appreciate some camp. I, I do I do appreciate some camp, clearly. And then uh, Corey's been on an episode as well. Ninja Storm, Best and Worst. That was a fantastic yeah. season, a 9 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. It was good oh, time. I see how it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now, we just finished up Dino Thunder. I got some episodes coming out for Power Rangers SPD, which is the police season. ACAB, oh, unfortunately, Jesus. includes SPD. Yeah. But it is interesting yeah. nonetheless. And I can't wait for people to listen to it because I think there's a lot to dissect because this is a show that's not trying to relate to the average viewer. This is a show that was like co-sponsored by the LAPD and the what? United States military. Are you serious? This is a show that was made for cops to go to their kids and say, hey, you see what's on screen? My job's like that. And it's all the pros and cons that come with that. Your Zord crushed half the city? Yeah, it's it's it, the enemies could do that. The thugs and the gangs could do that. You never know. You know, it's one of those types of seasons. And that in and of itself is very interesting. So, yeah, you guys will be seeing some episodes of that very soon. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Thank you. Before we go, I got to ask you something. This is a question that you posed to me when I was on Ninja Storm and I had a lot of fun. So thanks again for having me on. Based on what you saw, are you going to start watching Trek? Yes. Okay. So I've had some DMs and some talks with Kennedy. They really want me to watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I already, like even from like progress, I was already going to watch I think Deep Space Nine because I like Cisco. I think, okay. I think the main driver of force for Star Trek is how good the captain is. And like, mm -hmm. I do not like, I, 
I'm probably not going to watch the rest of Star Trek without a filler guide. Like we do that for our show where we like combine the Internet's filler guides and then, you know, put them into like this public Google Doc. Voyager benefits from that a lot, I think, yeah. or at least some. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And then kind of like seeing what episodes we need to add or maybe like take away from it and going along that. I might do that. And it might be for like a podcast, maybe. You can't do that for Deep Space Nine. That whole show is a thing. I, I, I can't guarantee that, but I will say I will definitely, definitely, even without Kennedy, we'll watch Deep Space Nine. Because oh, we didn't even give you a space, Karen. Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite Trek, and Cisco is the best captain, so uh, that's a that's as good a place as any to start. I think you would actually like the other series as well, but definitely happy that you're going to watch some Deep Space Nine because there's a lot, lot to love there. Yeah, I think obviously from what you could tell from this recording, I think Cisco's the best, and then uh, I would go Kirk and then Picard solely off of these episodes. I yeah, I mean, I was I want to have have you back and show you some of the rest of this franchise once you've gotten a hold of Deep Space Nine and get the rest of your power rankings for these uh, for all the captains. But at this point, yeah. it has been a real pleasure to have you. We're on Twitter at Gay Space Cast. We're on line we're on various podcast feeds we're part of not safe media just like sentai truther club and our patreon is not safe it's patreon.com slash not safe thank you ever so much Corey, for having written it down beforehand or read it in our own show notes <laughs> where you're going to read it again later if you want to go get it anyway follow us on things rate us on whatever go listen to sentai truther club and uh it's warping time <laughs> <laughs> It's warping time! <laughs>